Please stand for the reading of God's word. Our scripture for today is Genesis 25, verses 19 through 34. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel the Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban of Adaraman, excuse me, the sister of Laban the Aramean to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah his wife conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within shall you, you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. This is the word of the Lord. Gabby, oh, you can put that right there. I feel like a lot's already happened this morning, and what we're doing right now is... I think any of us would say, I would give anything to hear God just speak to me. Like, if, if I could just hear him speak to me, I would really like that. And when we come together as a community, as a church, that's what this moment is, is, is his words to us. He's speaking to us. We're able to, to hear him. And w one way we do that here is we just preach through books of the Bible. So we're in the book of Genesis right now. We've gone through Ephesians, Daniel, uh, several other books of the Bible. We'll spend weeks and weeks going through the book of Genesis, believing that, that every, all of God's word is his word to us. And so we're in Genesis 25, verse 19. It says, these are the generations of Isaac. Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac. We've been in, in learning about Abraham for, for a long time. We have, you can catch up on podcasts and stuff if you'd like to hear some of that. Verse 20, Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. Verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. So this, this is written in Hebrew, and there's a Hebrew word, totally dote, that basically says, like, am I weird? Okay, sorry. Should I go to the handheld? 
it sounds awesome to me, by the way. I don't know what you guys are talking about. So <laughs> it does actually sound good to me, but I like hearing my own voice, I guess. Um, you okay if I just keep going? Okay. I was joking just to give you time to work it out. Okay. So totally dope, this Hebrew word, it, it really signifies like scene change. I have been doing this in these people's lives. Now, now we have a scene change. And interestingly, it's new people, same God, which is important. So in a totally dote, same God, new people. Now these people are, we're talking about Isaac and his kids, who is Abraham's son. So not like new characters completely, but a scene change. And what's fascinating here is infertility remains a part of this family's story. And Abraham and Sarah were for decades seeking God and, and hear that there's a desperation and you can feel the desperation of people who want to see God's promises come about. And it seems like the very way for God's promises to come about, God is not allowing things to happen for his promises to come about. So we see here that Rebecca and Isaac, um, Isaac is 40 years old, and prayer continues to be the way that people interact with God as they wait on God for his promises to come about. And so I love that Isaac prays. And you should be like, well, of course, it's in the Bible. That's what Bible people do. But, man, there's a lot of things that I do many times before I pray. Try, it's like, well, I've tried everything. I guess I should pray about it. I, I don't know if you're like me, but that, I feel like that's my default mode. And so we see here that, that Isaac prays. And what we learn later is he is unanswered. God does not answer his prayer for 20 years, 20 years, yet they persist. Much of my 45 years now, my birthday was yesterday, uh, much of my 45 years, and I've walked with Jesus now, given my life to him for 25 of those years, and there have been so many unanswered prayers. Truly, so many unanswered prayers. And a lot of answered prayers. A lot of answered prayers. And I yearn for my kids. In decades in the future, or I yearn for my kids to sit with God in unanswered prayers and answered prayers. Now, verse 22. Is the sound sounding better? Okay, good. I don't want this to be a painful experience. Um, so verse 22. The children struggled within her, speaking of Rebecca, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two people, two people groups from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger." One quick thing that I love here is Rebecca is also praying. Isaac is going to God. Rebecca is going to God and saying, like, 
what is happening inside of my womb? Um, and I feel like this today would be a question for a doctor. You know, no ultrasounds and stuff like that at this time. And I love that, that Rebecca prays and asks God, would you respond? You are the one who knows the future. You are the one who knows all things. And he knows that it's showing the character of the two boys in her womb. That these two kids will become two nations that are divided. One is going to be stronger than the other. It doesn't say which one. But then it does say that the older is going to serve the younger. And, and that's, that's what we're told. The Lord has spoken. Now verse 24. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them, so that's how we realized 20 years had passed. Verse 27, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. More of an inside guy, outside guy. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. This is, you know, like I said, before the days of ultrasound, possibly Rebekah had no idea she had twins. You know, she's like, I don't know what's happening inside of me. She might, she, maybe she could figure it out. Uh, maybe she didn't know if she had twins. Um, but there are two boys who are being supernaturally provided by God to them after 20 years of barrenness. And they are both supernaturally provided, as I believe all kids are, but also they're supernaturally chosen for God's purposes. Jacob was chosen to be the one who these incredible promises would come about through. They were promises that were given to his grandfather, Abraham, and they would pass through him, not through his older brother, which might not shock you, but the people who originally read this, it shocked them because for a long time, and it's still this way in some countries, is inheritance is not just an evenly distributed among the siblings type thing. At this time, the oldest child got everything. And, and I hear there are countries today where that's still true, too. Like, just the way, and you kind of even see that in an agricultural environment. It's like, well, that would help not break up family farms. That would help not, you know, do all these things if it just, inheritance always went to one person. Um, and that's the way it was at this time. So for it to be said that, that there is going to be a way that the older brother is going to serve the younger brother is culturally shocking. And what I see is like that is God's choice. He's chosen them for this path. And it's the path they want to walk down, each of them. Look at verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. So we know it's stew. Might be important here later. Uh, verse 30. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew. And actually the Hebrew here is just red stuff. Red stuff. 
for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom, which that becomes a whole nation, the Edomites. Verse 31, Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So Isaac, remember Isaac, his dad, this is these guys' dad, Isaac had sought the Lord for God's promises to come about in his generation. Rebecca, their mom, had sought the Lord to see how the promises of God are going to play out with what's happening in her life. Jacob is a trickster. Jacob is a devious trickster. Um, and uh, it's okay if your name is Jacob or you were named after this guy because, because God actually pursues him, wrestles with him, um, like, like physically wrestles with him. And like he's like a, someone who needs to be broken like a horse. And, um, and, but at this place in Jacob's life, Jacob is taking matters into his own hands, as someone like that would be likely to do, and is seeking... He wants the promises of God, and he's doing it in a broken way where he's taking matters into his own hands. Esau is a broken man. So neither of these are exemplary people. The person who's exemplary in the story is, God's, is God, working in the midst of broken people, which that's all he's got in this room, me at the front of the line. So he is well-equipped to come into the lives of broken people and write beautiful stories. At, at this place, thank you, brother. Amen. So Esau is a broken man who doesn't even care about God's blessings. Jacob cares about it so much he's willing to ruin his brother's life to get that promise. At this time, Esau doesn't even care about the promise. And he actually despises his birthright, we're told. He despises the potential of inheriting God's promises. And Esau is, likes his food. He's hungry. Came in, I mean, I've hunted days where I come in, and I'm, I, I am really hungry. You know, it took a lot of calories to try and get other calories. And, um, and here, Esau, he just wants the red stuff. And Jacob sees the opportunity to steal the birthright. And what's haunted me this week in some ways is Esau's willingness to trade eternally significant things for a short-term pleasurable fulfillment. Here's these eternally significant promises of God. And it's like, well, here's what my belly feels like. Don't care about those things. Put food in my belly. You know, like that is how, how he is talking and how he is thinking. And I was like, man, I don't want to think that way. I, I don't want to be a guy that is willing to, to give up 
a birthright, to give up many promises for the sake of a short-term thrill. Like, that, that, that's not who I want to be. I don't want to even despise that you'll be like, well, maybe I just say like, well, that's dumb. So that maybe makes me feel better about walking down this path. And this is where Jacob and Esau are at. It, I think it, it is God's word to us about them. But we're in a totally dote. We're in a scene change. Same God, different people. Um, God actually re- even calls himself often the God of Jacob. I'm the God of the trickster. I'm the God of the devious man. And I think it, it's not to like be like, that, J- that Jacob is awesome. It's to talk about, oh, this is the type of God he is. That he doesn't wait for us to just get cleaned up to come to him. And that's part of my stories. I just felt like I just needed to kind of get my life right to get right with him. And to realize like, man, you are broken, you are sinful, and I am pursuing you. And what you need to do is receive me. And we've heard three powerful stories of that. So a few questions if we're despising the things of God right now. um, As he's, we're told in Psalm 23, he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And it's like, okay, we have the table that God lays out before us, and then we have red stuff. And it's like, what table do you want to sit at? Do I know what my birthright is? Do I know the things that have been promised to me? So um, one, there are many places in Genesis, many places throughout Scripture that we can even look for these things. Um, one place that we're just going to let ourselves go into today is 1 Peter chapter 1 that just says like, okay, here's the table that he's preparing before us in the presence of our enemies. I offer you this. I offer you red stuff. 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. Jacob and Esau might be like, we're listening. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you under locking key. It's in the safety deposit box. It's unfading, kept in heaven for you. Verse five, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we are a people who must be born again. Jesus clearly says that in John 3 to Nicodemus. This is being clearly communicated to us here. We are a people who must be born again. Being born again allows Jacob's and Esau's. Being born again allows broken people to be healed. Being born again allows people who are prone to despise what really matters. People who are prone to sell for temporary things. That for God who is great in mercy offers us to be born again. A divine start over. 
in, in, in his family, with his promises, his completed work on the cross, his resurrection, meaning that it is an alive and well risen Savior who is offering this new birthright to us. An inheritance that can't perish, it can't be defiled, can't be sold, doesn't fade, kept securely in heaven for us. God's own power guarding his salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Then verse 6, remember he is despising his birthright. Look at verse 6 of 1 Peter 3. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, various unanswered prayers, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That is the birthright. The promises of God guaranteed on our behalf for those who sit at his table. Those being baptized today have said, I am broken. I've been living like Esau. I've been living like Jacob, trying to manipulate and control life to be my vision instead of God's vision. I'm broken, and Jesus, I am yours. I'm, I'm broken, Jesus, I am yours. I do not despise this new birthright. I have been born again. I rejoice in this salvation, even through the pain, the unanswered prayers, the trials. Uh, I'm not just looking to just be shiny, happy people. Everything is awesome. Uh, I'm, there is a joy that can be deeper than that because of this foundation that my life is now built on. I rejoice in this salvation. I do not despise this birthright. I rejoice with joy in being born again into this living hope. It's a hope that can sustain Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday through the week, even with life being hard, even through the various trials. We have not seen him, we love him. And man, maybe Jesus is going to wrestle with Jacob and break him. And maybe Jesus is wrestling with you right now. Maybe he really is. Oh, Esme is testifying. She's crying out. This is good. Yeah, man. I would just say if Jesus is wrestling with you right now, it's because he loves you. Full stop. He's wrestling with you right now because he is pursuing you. He loves you. He's moving towards you, maybe for the first time in your life, not to shame you. Man, 
we are so broken in that area. Someone with authority over us moving towards us must be a bad thing that I must run from. And it's like, yeah, we've had a lot of broken people around us. I'm broken as I seek to parent my kids and many times realize I just went the shame route. And that is broken, ugly, unhelpful. And he moves towards us out of his love, out of his love and his love for us. Truly crazy about us saying, I don't want you to, I want, to, I want you to lay down all of these mechanisms of despising and selling and trading and receive all that I have for you. We have not seen him, yet we love him. And my prayer for us this morning has been, would that be the anthem for every heart in this room? We have not seen him, yet we love him. And I would argue we haven't seen him and we're seeing him all over the place. I'm seeing him in Derek's life. Seeing him with Shannon. Seeing him with Gemma. Lord, would you work in us now? Lord, as we get ready to celebrate these baptisms, we look for you to just change us from the inside out. We give all this to you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, appropriate way for us, there'll be many ways that, that we would move towards him. And one way that he designed for us to move towards him is communion. And let me tell you that, like, I grew up Roman Catholic, a then Methodist. Um, some of you have been in Lutheran churches. Some of you have been in Presbyterian churches. And um, Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, if we move towards those things, none of that actually saves us. None of that is the center. Those are all beautiful names of, of church groups historical church groups, um, what we proclaim here unashamedly is what changes us and saves us is not a organization, it's a person, the living person, Jesus. And so what communion is, is Jesus saying, come, come to the table. And if you if you are a Presbyterian and have not given your life to Jesus, I would ask you not to come to this table. I would invite you to come to Jesus. Those are, make sure Jesus is your hope of your salvation. If you are Lutheran and you have come to Jesus and Jesus is what you are all in giving your life to, he is who you're giving your life to for your salvation, I invite you to come to the table. Okay, this table doesn't mean anything if you have not given your life to Jesus. It's little cups of wine or juice, obey your conscience with that, and bread. With Jesus as our Savior, this means the world to us as we commune with him. And he said, this is a way for you to commune with me, tangibly feel my love for you. And so I would just encourage you, if you don't know quite where you are with Jesus, um, I would ask you not to come to the table, but move towards other people and say, man, would you pray for me? Or would you maybe just pray and just say, Jesus, if this is real, I wanna be yours, um, it, would you show me? 
Um, for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, I ask you just, would you pause for a moment, look to him, let him do anything he wants to do in your life. The shrocks will be up here, and then just come up the middle aisle, um, hold your hands out, they'll give you the bread, um, and then wine or juice there, and then let's all remain standing, and I'll lead us in taking communion together as a family. Let's respond to him.